the letter of Jude. It is toward the very back of your Bible, just before Revelation. If you're using the blue ESV Bibles, it is on page 1027. This morning we will be looking at verses 24 and 25, concluding our series through this letter. The title of our sermon is Kept from Stumbling. Our key words for our worshipers and training are perseverance, glory, and forever. And one of the things I've done for a while now at the end of a calendar year is at some point in the days leading up to the new year, I sit down on my computer and I write down a summary of things that have happened throughout the year so I can have something to look back on and remember what God has done. Now, of course, that includes things like the birth of my children, uh, people that I was able to baptize or weddings I was involved in, uh, places I've traveled, uh, great gospel triumphs um, that I was able to be a part of. I get to reflect on all of those things. But I also reflect on the hard things, things like miscarriage and death of friends and family members, people dear to me who have struggled and suffered and what has gone on in their lives. It's nothing elaborate. I usually just write up a few quick paragraphs, some key events that God has brought me through so I can remember. My wife has a similar practice. She likes to write down little things that happen in our family on little strips of paper and put them in a mason jar and It's funny things our kids have said or done or places we've gone, events we've attended. And every New Year's Eve, we sit down together and we take all of those out and we read them one by one to remember our year. It has been a rewarding practice. And and if nothing else, it's simply a measure of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. And it's a reminder that we need not forget some of the things that God has done, both good and and very difficult. Those things, in many ways, need to stick with us for a lifetime because we remember who God is and that God is at work in our lives. Such a practice can be painful at times. We all have memories. We all have things that we really just wish weren't there. We all have regrets. We all have painful experiences. We have broken relationships. We have heartaches. We have losses. I've had a lot of those. I know a lot of you have had them too. And yet even those things are important for us to remember. To see how God provided, to see how God protected, to see how God sustained, to see how God was with us through all of it. God was faithful to the end, never letting us go, no matter what was happening around us. And when all of your world seems to give way, when all of the walls are falling down, we can remember that God stood for us when sometimes it seems like nobody else will. I wonder if you do anything like that. I'd encourage you along those lines to remember, to recall the events of your life so that over time you can see what God is doing around you, what God is doing in you, what God is doing through you. So you can see the ways you've been sanctified, the ways you've been made to be more like Christ, the ways that you've been disciplined by the Lord, the ways you've been brought to the end of yourself so that you would be called upon to live all the more in Christ's righteousness and not your own. And then as you look back over all of it, you have every reason to say, praise be to God. 
Praise be to God who was there, who is here, and will forever be with me. Praise be to God. Well, this morning as we come to this end of the letter by Jude, we have worked through some difficult things. We've seen a church, we've seen a people who were being attacked by false teachers and, and no doubt the occasion of Jude's writing was spurred on by the fact that some of those people who seemed to be walking with Christ had been led astray. They were believing a false gospel, they were buying up the lies they were be, that were being told by the false teachers and in the end they were leaving those left behind to wonder what exactly had happened. And yet, as we come to the end, Jude doesn't want to leave us on a note of gloom. He doesn't want to leave us hopeless or fearful. Charles Spurgeon said of these verses this morning, he said, Here is Jude who has been writing an epistle which seems all ablaze with lightning. It burns so terribly against certain orders of sinners. Almost every word that Jude writes seems to have the roll of thunder in it. He appears to be more like the Haggai of the Old Testament than the Jude of the New. Yet he cannot close this short epistle until he has included some ascription of praise to God. Brothers and sisters, when your world seems like it has been tossed and turned upside down, when your children rebel, when your best friend walks away from the church, when your spouse is unfaithful, when you're fired from your job, when you're facing a terminal disease, how do you write the final letter of your, uh, final sentence of your letter? How would you end your letter? Look with me, verses 24 and 25, and see how it is that a faithful Christian looks and recalls the wise, sovereign handiwork of a good, gracious, and glorious God. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, Jude is not satisfied with having rebuked the sons of men for their sins, so he turns round to glorify his God. And so this morning, we're going to consider what it looks like to joyfully praise the Lord in the midst of life. The good times, the bad times, the confusing times, the difficult soul-challenging times. Can we still praise our God? If you recall, Jude opened his letter back in verse 1 with the important reminder that if we are called in Christ, we are beloved of God, we are are kept for Jesus Christ. Remember, we said Jude opens the letter in this way because he was about to talk about all of these false teachers. He was about to talk about these apostates, people who appeared outwardly to be walking away from the faith, abandoning what it seemed like they were once holding to, this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints and embracing a false gospel. And, and a tendency for all of us in the low points of our life is to think, well, maybe I'm one of those people. Maybe I'm not a Christian. 
And Jude wants to remind us, listen, if you are truly in Christ, you have less than nothing to worry about. You are kept in Jesus Christ and he will not let you go. It is a great reminder that we are in Christ when we are faithfully walking with him and nothing can take us from his hand. This goes hand in hand with Paul's great affirmation in Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so from there, Jude delivers some pretty hard blows to the apostates. But first he reminded us. But he had to. He had to offer some very serious warnings to the church. And so once again here at the end of the letter, he wants to remind us again. He wants to remind us again of the great work of God to keep us from stumbling in Christ Jesus. He's saying, yes, that is what happens with the false teachers and the apostate people who follow after them. They were never in Christ in the first place. But if you are in Christ, take heart. You are kept by Jesus Christ. So let's look at three different things that Jude reminds us of this morning. The first, in verse 24, is that only God is able to keep you from stumbling. Once again, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. If we really understand our own hearts... And if we really understand our own tendencies, we all realize that we are in great danger of falling and failing on our own. And yet, our great safety is the divine ability of God and the great faithfulness of God to keep us from stumbling so that we do not dishonor the Lord. And you'll notice all that Jude has has here is, is framed as praise given to God. So in this, we should praise God for keeping us from stumbling because if it was left to us, you and I would have fallen away as soon as we started. Maybe you wonder how. How would we fall? In what ways would we see among ourselves that we might be apostate apart from the preserving work of Christ on our behalf? It could be great error in our doctrine. I'm not talking about errors in certain matters that are of little or no consequence. Christians will always quibble over theological matters that are not unimportant, but are also not of gospel significance. What I'm talking about is how our hearts are so very prone to drift from the main thing, the the simplicity of sound doctrine to embrace new novel ideas that appeal to the flesh, and are complete distortions of the gospel or complete distortions of who God truly is. This is sort of the moneymaker for false teachers, to get their followers to embrace a false gospel altogether, which Paul reminds the Galatians is no gospel at all. That's not good news. And all of us are susceptible to this. All of us can get intrigued in different ways by new and novel ways of looking at something and be, and be led to embrace an idea that will take us far from God, who God truly is, and far from what the gospel truly is, and how God has revealed himself and his work 
in the Bible. This is particularly true among the academically minded. We see it in in seminaries and universities quite often because part of academic work is, is that you need to continue to produce and always advance new ideas of thought and always sort of be innovative. And that works great in certain fields of study, but the last thing you want in theology is innovation. The last thing you want from your pastor is to be innovative with the Word of God. But that appeals to us, doesn't it? The new, the fresh, the vibrant, it appeals to us. The old paths are just that. They're old, beaten down paths. Do we want to take those paths? When over here we can see the new and the fresh and the hip... But we're not called to update the gospel. We're called to embrace it. And again, remember what Jude calls it in verse 3. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. There is a once for all truth to be embraced. Not variations, not novelties, not new and fresh ideas. Without the preserving grace of God, we would all be in grave danger of falling into false doctrine. Because it appeals to our flesh. Apart from God keeping us from stumbling, we could all find ourselves in the opposite error of embracing false doctrine, and that is that our heads are so full of knowledge, and yet our hearts are cold and angry and bitter and conceited and unbelieving. It is very possible that a person can go their whole lives professing outwardly what they no way embrace inwardly in their own hearts. And and they may even be very good at, at concealing it before certain people. But it comes out. It comes out in the, the ways that we respond to opposition. It comes out in the ways that we talk to other people. It comes out in ways we discipline our children, in the ways that we handle controversy. A heart emptied of love is just as dangerous as a mind filled with false doctrine. And in many ways, it might be far more dangerous because we can easily convince ourselves that we are right with God for simply knowing things when, in fact, a cold heart may be very far from Him. When our hearts are warm to love and to serve God and our brothers and sisters in Christ and our neighbors, we must remember to praise God. It's not our doing It's not our natural inclination to be a blessing to other people if it's not reciprocated or if it's not beneficial to us. Humility and loving service to others are works of God, and we should praise God for those things. Apart from God keeping us from stumbling, we might find ourselves in outward, open rebellion and sin. This can happen to anybody. Very recently, there was a very well-known pastor of a large church overseas, a very well-respected theologian. He's done tremendously helpful work for the good of the body of Christ. A few months ago, he committed suicide and was later found to have been committing adultery with multiple women from the church over the last decade of ministry. And when his wife threatened to expose him, he, he hung himself. I bring this up because it's a man that I and many others would look to and say from what we can see, praise God for his faithfulness to carry on in the ministry, honoring God and all that he does. And yet, this was all going on behind the scenes and and eventually it was out in the open. 
You see, the thing that, the thing that God does so often is that while we think what we're, we're doing is in secret, while we think what we're doing is not going to be noticed by anybody and nobody else is going to be hurt by it, God will expose it in time. It's always for our rebuke. It is always intended to bring us to the end of ourselves that we might be recalibrated if we're in Christ and yet we find ourselves in grave sin. And again, we're, we're called to consider our own hearts. If God wasn't doing a work to preserve us, we would just simply continue on in that way. We would continue on in our sins without ever being stopped, without ever being exposed. We would continue on, mindful only of ourselves and what we desire. But in God's kindness, if we fall into great sin, He will expose us. He will wound us that we may be saved. Consider your own heart and think about your own life and your own tendencies to sin and all the ways that you know you could easily fall if it weren't for God keeping you. What are those things that would pull you away if Christ wasn't keeping you? And as you think about those things, praise God for what He does and pray that He continues to keep you according to His promises. You see, we, we could keep on going this morning and thinking through all the ways we're pr- prone to walk away or to stumble or to fall, but far more important is that our faithfulness is kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faithfulness and our perseverance is not our own work, but it is a work of God on our behalf, and He is worthy of our praise because of it. And listen, it's not because we're members of the church, It's not because we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not because we read our Bibles or attend small group or serve in the nursery. It's not because we follow a list of rules or regulations that were kept from stumbling. There is no experience. There is no amount of walls that we can build. There is no list of rules that we can keep that will eradicate our fleshly tendencies to sin and our ever-present pull to walk away from God. It is He alone who is able to keep us. And he does. That's what Jude is saying, isn't he? Now to him who is able. We cannot keep ourselves, brothers and sisters. It is him who keeps us. And he is able and he is willing and he does that work every single day. And if you would only examine your own life, you would see. Consider that Jude is reminding us that God is able He's a God of means, and He uses many means to keep us from stumbling. He, he teaches us from the Scriptures. He illumines the Scriptures by the Spirit to keep us from believing false teaching. He warns us against the tendencies and temptations of our own hearts that we would be aware and watchful. He sometimes brings affliction to chastise us and correct us if we're living upon our own righteousness instead of Christ. He reminds us time and time again of the gospel, reminding us of who we are and what we deserve and yet who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. He keeps us with an inward desire for holiness, a desire to please and follow after God, a desire to obey His word by putting His law in our hearts. This is God's work, and there are many, many more things we could say that He does to keep us And the Lord will continue to do this in the lives of His people. He is able, He is willing, and only He can make it happen. And that is worthy of our praise.
So the thing that we need to remember as we consider our lives and as, as we are thinking about the events of our lives and the things that happen all around us is that we may face some very tough times. We may face some very devastating events. But no matter what, if we are in Christ, we will be kept from stumbling. And in the context of this letter, when we're being assaulted by false teachers, when we're being tempted to abandon the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, you may lose everything, but in the end, if you are persevering with the Lord, praise Him for keeping you through all of it. Praise God for keeping us because He is able and He will do it for all of His people. Well, secondly, this morning, we praise God in the midst of all else falling down around us because only Christ is able to present us blameless before the Father. Look again at verse 24. He says, to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Now, one of the hallmark distinctions of a false teacher is that they're often talking about what you are able to do how you are capable of presenting yourself before God in one way or another. Now, of course, they say it in very crafty and sly language, but in the end, that's the message. You can do it. But the testimony of Scripture is the complete opposite. And here Jude presents the truth. He presents the truth of the matter in opposition to the false teachers who were promoting something of a self-gratifying, self-help type of message in lieu of the gospel. Judas saying positively, only Christ can present you blameless before the Father because only Christ can provide what is needed for you to be counted as blameless. Judas is actually using very specific Language here, the word he uses for blameless is used in other parts of the New Testament to refer to an unblemished lamb, one that would have been presented for, uh, for atonement to be made on the Day of Atonement. And he's saying that's how we will be presented. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word is also used for a father who presents his betrothed daughter for marriage, showing that she is unblemished, she is clean. She is blameless. And this is a remarkable truth. This is a remarkable work of God's grace. Because if you read your Bible and you know who God is, and you read your heart and you know anything about yourself, it is incredible that any of us would ever be called blameless in His sight. How does that work? How does it work that you and I would ever be counted blameless before a holy, holy, holy God? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the basic yet profound truth of the gospel. How could we ever be counted blameless before the Father? because of the perfect life of fulfilling the law of the Son, because of the the sinner's death, taking upon Himself all of our sins and being crushed for our iniquities, giving to us, granting us, imputing to us a righteousness that is not our own, crediting to our account that which we could not earn 
paying for that which we could never repay. How does he do it? He, he destroys his son on the cross for us and gives to us his righteousness. That is how you and I stand before the Father to be called blameless. We can praise God in the midst of all of the trials and all of the difficulties of life and all of the assaults against the truth, knowing that even though we struggle in many ways, even though we face temptations, even though we don't always walk victoriously, if we are in Christ, in the end, we will stand blameless before the Father and nobody can stand in the courts of God who are covered with fault. And no one can deliver us from our guilt or keep us from our daily sin except the Savior Himself. You are not called blameless because of you. You are only counted blameless because of Christ. And he has promised that he will do it. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Christ did what he did by living the life that he lived and dying the death that he died in order to present you as holy and blameless. Brothers and sisters, that is incredible. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that you might be called blameless. Now you might say, I feel everything that is evil rising up within me at times. How can I ever be blameless before God? All of that evil, all of those evil thoughts, all of our evil deeds are under the sentence of death. Christ nailed it all to the cross. The cross has delivered the death blow to all of your sins or if, if you are in Him. When He was nailed to the cross, your sins were nailed to the cross and they shall never come down again to condemn you. Die they must as He died. And it will be a glorious day when they're no longer lurking in every thought and every action, when, when our sin and our flesh finally receives the death blow that has already been delivered. It is then that we shall be faultless before the throne of God. Imagine how glorious that day. To not be tempted by one bit of lust. To not have one unbridled passion. To not have a hint of envy or pride or covetousness. Can you imagine? Christ has secured that blessing for you that you will know. And so, brothers and sisters, when the world seems upside down, when we're being blasted all around by false teachers and trials and temptations here and now, we can look to Christ and praise Him no matter what, because in the end, we have a far greater hope that anything this life can provide. We can rejoice in that Christ and what He has done for us. 
because he has made it possible that we would stand blameless before the Father. We, you and I, if we are in Christ, we will wear radiant beauty when God looks upon us and declares based upon the work of Christ, not guilty, blameless. And so there's no more cause for sorrow or fear or burden or pain of loss. Jude says we are presented blameless. See how he says that? He says, with great joy. Of course, with great joy. What else could make you happier than standing before your your God and being declared 100% righteous when you know that you know you're not? If you have a debt of $20 trillion and the one you owe it to says your debt has been paid and I'm giving you another $20 trillion in return, what is your response? Exceeding, overwhelming joy that we've been forgiven more than we could ever pay. And not only that, we've been given more and abundantly above anything we could ever deserve. So no matter what is going on in our world and all of the circumstances around us, we have every reason to respond to God with praise and adoration. Some days will be tough. But brother and sister, far greater days await us when everything we pass through here and now will seem very, very small in comparison. That's what Paul told us, isn't it? It is a light, momentary affliction. That he mentioned after detailing all of the trials he endured and all of the pain that he suffered. A light, momentary affliction compared to the glory that awaits us as we are declared blameless before the Father. Thirdly, this morning, only God is worthy of our complete allegiance and worship, no matter what may come. Look at verse 25. He says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. I could just leave it there. It's glorious that we would have God to look to with allegiance and worship no matter what happens in our lives. Now, one of the hallmarks of a false teacher is that they're always looking to make sure that everybody around them is loyal to them and everybody understands that they are the ones in charge. If you want to make a decision about something in your life, like a new job or a purchase you need to make or a medical procedure you, you're considering or, or going on a vacation, you need to talk to them first. And if you don't do what they've instructed you to do, you're considered insubordinate and, and unteachable and unwilling to submit to authority and, and maybe even an outright rebellious idolater. Now, all of this is, is generally couched in, in very religious-sounding language, and, and they will tell you that what they're doing is for your spiritual good. Their, their main desire is to guard your soul, to, to look out for you and make sure you're honoring the Lord, but in reality, they are working day by day to take over the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, usurping the authority of God and His Word, 
so that they will always be able to lead by instilling fear and intimidation to everyone around them. And the people are really scared to even make decisions on their own because they don't know what the response will be. They'll be rebuked. They'll be made to, make, made to think that they're not even Christians. They will constantly remind you, false teachers will constantly remind you that the Bible tells you to submit to and obey the leadership of the church, never taking the time to actually explain what that means in the context of Scripture. They will develop strange practices and patterns to ensure they're they're able to be in your life as much as possible. They will insist on being addressed by a, a specific title. They're never open for correction. They're never open to accountability. Brothers and sisters, I hope that sounds ridiculous and foreign to you, because it is. But it's incredibly common, more than you would realize. You could travel all around the world and see that this happens every single day where God is replaced by so-called pastors who want to run the lives of others to feed their own sick obsessions, which are most often sensual and financial. These are the kinds of people that Jude was writing against. And so, here in the end, Jude helps remind us where our true allegiance lies. Where must our focus be? Not on the man who stands before you to preach. Not on a man who leads the church from the earth. But the one and only King who rules everything from heaven. All earthly authority is appointed by God and is good and right when it is properly understood and when it is properly applied. But no one in authority is worthy of our complete devotion, our complete allegiance, and certainly not our worship. Only God. And for that reason, Jude calls us to adore Him with the highest praise and honor through Jesus Christ. As this epistle comes to an end, it's possible that you sort of read this and and sort of the same response we've had, you can imagine as it's being read to the congregation for the first time, that all of them are shouting, Amen! Amen! God's kingly glory is especially emphasized here with reference to His, His majesty and His power and His authority. He is the king with ultimate power. He is the one with all of the authority for He is the only God. But that glory and that majesty and that power and that authority is mediated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we ascribe glory to God we do so remembering that in Christ we have come to know that glory and authority and power. It is through Christ we have come to know that God is our Savior in Him. It is through Christ that we know that whatever may come our way, we have been shown the magnitude of God's love for His people. We've been shown just how far He was willing to go that we might have life everlasting, not by any works of our own, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can for my sins atone. It is not at all surprising that these last two verses have become the most popular benediction used at the end of a worship service. They do for us what they did for Jude and for those he was writing to. They summarize the continuing sovereign work of God. 
in Jesus Christ on our behalf and ascribe to Him all of the glory forever and ever. Nothing is beyond God's sovereign and majestic control. It is He who keeps His people from falling. And it is He that individual Christians and the church at large are to bring their whole selves to giving thanksgiving to Him. And so no matter what you face right now, no matter what you face tomorrow, no matter what you're brought to remember that you faced before, you can know with full assurance that everything is truly going to work out for your good in the end. You, brother and sister, you will be kept forever. Stay faithful. Jesus is with us now and forever to the very end of the age. Stay faithful.